0: Well, amen. I don't know any Hebrew, so I'm not sure where he got that from. Uh, I can work a strong concordance with the best of them, but that's about it. And uh, go ahead and open your Bibles. Don't stand just yet to John chapter 2. Just want to chat for just a moment before we get to our text. But I do want to say thank you uh, to our church for just your love and uh, kindness uh, and encouragement over the last couple of months as uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer and uh, we started going through that process that some of you are very familiar with. Uh, And she has gone three weeks into chemo at this point, and uh, so far so good, except for a little bit of tiredness. And she's been a little more irritable with me lately, but I don't blame her, you know. (laughs) I'm just kidding, she knows I'm kidding. And, uh, but we're thankful for the encouragement, the prayers, the cards, just so much kindness has come her way and very thankful for our church family, very thankful for our pastor, amen. And if you're visiting this morning, I, I do hope that you will come again and visit next Sunday when pastor is back. You'll not, you're not hear a better preacher of the word of God or someone who is more sincerely in love with the Lord and desirous to follow him than Brother Gaddis. And God really brought him into my life at a time when I needed him. And he has been such a blessing to me and my family. Very thankful for him, very thankful for this church and I uh, just want to be a blessing. I uh, am preaching in a series right now. That may sound strange, but I had in, we had planned to travel with assurance uh, all 12 weeks this summer, uh, which would have meant a lot of preaching opportunities in the East and South. And uh, so I had been praying about it, planning, and, and I had just decided that I was going to preach a series of messages through John's Gospel in uh, each church that we're at is was given an opportunity to preach. And that way, uh, the students wouldn't have to hear the same sermons over and over again. Mrs. Raspberry wouldn't have to hear the same sermons again. Honestly, even I get bored by the third time through. And if the preacher's falling asleep, that's not a good idea. And uh, so I just thought, well, I'll just start in John 1 and just preach a series of messages as we go through the summer. Of course, chemo changed all of that. But I have had opportunity to preach in a few different places. And so I just felt led of the Lord just to carry out that plan. And so a couple of weeks ago, I preached the first half of John 1 in Spearman, Texas about how the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Praise the Lord for the incarnation that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And then that night I preached in Pampa, Texas on the second half of John 1 called Chain Reaction Conversions. And you have John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And then John and Andrew begin to follow Jesus. And Andrew goes and finds Peter and brings him to Jesus. And then Jesus finds Philip. And Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. And, uh, you know, each of us should desire to let God use us to bring someone to Jesus Christ. Amen. And who knows, if you got saved, how many others might get saved because of your testimony. And uh, then last Sunday, my wife and I had the privilege of being in Weatherford, Oklahoma. And to preach both services. So that morning I preached on water to wine, the transforming power of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus can turn well water into wine, just think what he can do in your life. Amen. And uh, then Sunday night I preached the second half of John 2 on letting Jesus clean house. Amen. We call it the cleansing of the temple. It's kind of ironic. He made a real mess, amen? <laughs> and, uh, but he came in to purge and purify the sons of Levi. And he flipped over the tables and ran off all the animals. And, of course, the religious leaders, they just set the tables back up, put the money changer uh, stations back in order, put all the animals back, and he continued on in their corrupt schemes. But Jesus had come and presented himself as the Messiah. And uh, that leads us now into the end of chapter 2. So let's stand together, John 2 and verse 23. John 2 and verse 23, it says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. But Jesus did not commit, commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, Now, can we go back to the preceding verses and understand that Jesus knew Nicodemus before Nicodemus got there and that he knew all about Nicodemus and knew his thoughts and knew his reason for coming. And so there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. I'm pausing there as this sinks into Nicodemus. Don't you know there was a pause and Jesus said this and Nicodemus is trying to wrap his mind around what Jesus has said. And so verse 4 says Nicodemus saith unto him how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Now, I'll stop. We're going to finish through much of the rest of the chapter. I just want to speak to you this morning on the subject of you must be born again. It's what Jesus said. You must be born again. Father, help us this morning as we study this, this very vital and key passage of Scripture. What was true for Nicodemus 2,000 years ago is true for us today. And if there's, there is even one person in this room or watching by live stream who has never been saved, never been born again, I pray that they would listen on purpose and that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts and that they would come to a saving knowledge, saving faith in Christ as their Savior. For we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When we had started Lighthouse Baptist Church, we were able to purchase a Church of God property and had one main entrance, had a little uh, awning over the front, and then the one main entrance. And over the main entrance, I had a, a, a metal sign about this large and about this tall white with black letters. There was simply verse number seven, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. I just wanted folks as they're walking into our church for the first time, not to be surprised if they heard the preacher say, you must be born again. One day we had a UPS driver pull into the front parking lot and I heard the car, the vehicle stop. So I went up to the front door and looked out the little window to see who it was and And I saw the UPS lady, she was leaning out of her truck, and she was looking up at that sign, and uh, then she went back into the truck to retrieve our package. And so while she was doing that, I simply opened the door, walked out, and I'm standing outside of her truck. When she turned back around and she saw me, and she went, ah! (laughs) And I said, did I startle you? Uh, She said, well, I was just reading that sign and thinking how glad I am that I'm born again, And she said, then I turned around and it was like you poofed into existence right outside the door. I think that's the first and only time I've been mistaken for an angel. I don't know. I just. But the words that she read on the sign certainly made an impression on her. And they certainly made an impression on Nicodemus. And I hope that they'll make an impression on us this morning. Most of John 3 records a private interview of Jesus by Nicodemus. And here we have one of the greatest explanations uh, ever given about salvation. Uh, Jesus is the one speaking to Nicodemus in this passage, and it is Jesus who declared, you must be born again. Now in our time, we hear that, that expression tossed about, born again, and often used in a very secular manner, and often used in a derogatory manner, and Many today who have heard the expression of being born again, they may associate that with someone turning over a new leaf, a drug addict uh, overcoming their addiction... Uh, a prisoner, you know, uh, deciding to live a, a new life in prison or that sort of thing. And, but they don't really understand that we're not talking about turning over a new leaf. We're not talking about a mere reformation of habits, but rather a new birth that comes from God, that can only come from God, and that results in new life on the inside, a new spirit that is born of God. It is Jesus that said... You must be born again. I want you to notice with me this morning just three main thoughts, just just an old-school sermon outline, amen, on three main points about you must be born again from John chapter 3. Notice first, a sincere soul. Now, we ought to know who Nicodemus was, and notice how he approached Jesus. In verse 1 it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, here is a man of the Pharisees. That means he was of the strictest observance of the law and the traditions of the fathers. Okay? Your average Jew would have just been an Orthodox Jew, but the Pharisees are going to be the ultra-Orthodox. They're the ones taking it to the nth degree. They're the ones who are accepting all the traditions of men as, uh, as equal with the Word of God. They are, many of them became the enemies of Christ, but some of them were actually sincere, zealous uh, uh, men who desired to please God. Nicodemus was one such man. He comes to Jesus by night. He's an ultra-Orthodox Pharisee. He is a, uh, excuse me, a ruler of the Jews. He's a man of good reputation, a man who is respectable, a man who is capable, probably a man who is wealthy, and, uh, and no doubt considerably older than Jesus, who at that time was about 30 years of age. Now, he's also a reasonable man. He has seen the miracles, he has seen what God has done with Jesus Christ or th- what he sees as God being with Jesus because of the miracles that he is performing and he is reasonably un- understood that you must be from God. Okay? Now, I'm not sure that he's truly come to understand who Jesus is. He is simply reasoning that with the miracles that we're seeing and what God is doing, that you must be a teacher sent from God. And so he desires this private interview. Now, he's a respectful man. He comes to Jesus with great courtesy. He comes to him and says, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. This is not one of the Pharisees or Sadducees that will come to Jesus later you know, with deceit and, uh, and dissimulation and, and, you know, asking loaded questions to try to trap Jesus in his words. He's not coming on those terms. He's coming sincerely. He's coming respectfully. He's coming reasonably. He wants to know who this man is. And he's a man who is looking for the kingdom of God. How do you know that? Because that's the first Jesus who knew him and knew his mind and knew what is in him. That's the first thing he says is he makes a reference to the kingdom of God. Now, the Jews of Jesus' time were in great anticipation of the coming of the Messiah. Um, Unfortunately, most of them had a wrong understanding of how the Messiah would come. I have, for the last year, because of the classes that I teach at Heartland, I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time in the Old Testament. I just spent a, I just finished a study of Isaiah for next semester, and it is easy to read Isaiah and understand why the Jews were so excited about the kingdom of the, of the Messiah on this earth, amen, with the wolf lying down with the lamb and, uh, you know, the lion and the little kid feeding together and a child leading them and and uh, the change that God is going to make in nature and all the things that are going to take place when the Messiah comes and sets up His kingdom on this earth. And by the way, He is going to do exactly that. But they overlooked His first coming, looking for His second coming. And so you have to understand that when Nicodemus is thinking about the kingdom of God, he's thinking about the kingdom of God on earth this millennial kingdom and if this is the messiah then i want to be part of this i want to be part of the kingdom of god and and no doubt because i am a jew and i'm of the seed of abraham and isaac and jacob and i am a pharisee and i'm religious from the tips of my fingers to the bottom of my feet then then i should have a part In this kingdom of God on the earth, I should have a part in this millennial kingdom. And I just want to know more about how this is going to work out. So Jesus begins immediately by saying, except a man be born again, he's not going to see the kingdom of God. So I'm simply pointing out that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler. He was reasonable. He was respectful. He was a man who was looking for the kingdom of God. And uh, then we notice how he approached Jesus, and he he came by night, in verse number two, and the implication is that he's come secretly. He's come uh, to meet with Jesus privately. And uh, the reason why has left uh, our speculation, uh, perhaps uh, because it was to avoid the crowds. You can imagine hundreds of thousands of people there in Jerusalem for Passover, and Jesus always surrounded by crowds. And so Nicodemus just trying to get to Jesus and talk one on one. Perhaps this was the only time that that was available. Or, and I think this is more likely, that he was afraid of the criticism by his co workers in the Sanhedrin and the other uh, Pharisees and scribes. And, and he wasn't quite sure that he's willing to risk his reputation just yet uh, or that he's afraid of the consequences of being seen as a follower of Jesus at this point. And so he seems to be coming cautiously to talk to Jesus and try to get some of his questions answered and find out where he is going to stand with Jesus now, the important thing here is, is not necessarily why Nicodemus came at night, but the fact that Jesus met him at night. That's right. And talked with him. And so Jesus didn't say, sorry, Nicodemus, if you're not willing to meet me in broad daylight in front of everybody, I'm just not going to talk with you. He said, Do you want to meet at midnight? Well, let's meet at midnight. And he took the time to meet with Nicodemus where he was, even on his terms, but he's going to tell him the truth. Amen. Now, I I think about this because there are people all around the world that if they were to openly begin seeking after Jesus Christ, they would face horrible consequences. Both in their nation or even sometimes just in their home and family. If, they were to be no, if the Bible were to be found in their homes, if they were to be found looking it up online, if they were to be found YouTubing a Baptist preacher uh, and, and hearing what he has to say about being born again, they might have to face the wrath of their fathers. They might have to face the wrath of their clerics. They might have to face the wrath of, of their society. And so, yes, I'm sure that there are people all around the world who will do what they can, perhaps secretly looking into who Jesus is. Well, I want you to know that if you're watching this somewhere in the world tonight and you can't attend a church, I want you to know that Jesus Christ cares about you and he cares about your soul and he wants to save you exactly where you are. So maybe you're visiting this morning and you've got a sincere soul. Like what's going on at this church over here? I've driven by it before. Maybe someone invited you and and you're like, well, I I don't know. I just, I'm sincere. I want to know. I'll listen to what you have to say. Well, that's that's wonderful because Jesus has something to say to you this morning. And if you'll listen, the Holy Spirit of God will help you to understand what he is saying. So we see a sincere soul. Notice number two, several startling statements. Amen. Several startling statements in verse three. Jesus answered and said unto him, verily, verily. Now, only Jesus says verily, verily in the Bible. And he says it 25 times, and they're all in the Gospel of John. So what does verily, verily mean? It means what I'm about to tell you is absolutely, definitely true, and you can't get around it. (laughs) So you might as well believe it, amen? (laughs) This is a truth that may be inconvenient for you, but it's truth nonetheless. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that's what's on Nicodemus' mind. I want to be part of the kingdom of God. I want to see that millennial kingdom. I want to be part of that. And Jesus says, well, you can forget. It's not because you're born of Abraham's seed. It's not because you're a Pharisee. It's not because of your religion or your zeal or your sincerity. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Now, in our terms today, we might say it this way. Except a man be born again, he'll not see heaven. Amen? Amen? Except a man be born again, he's not going to see heaven. He's not going to see the kingdom of God on the earth. He's not going to see the kingdom of God in heaven. He's not going to see uh, uh, heaven and enjoy all that God has for, uh, for, for, for the saved. And so except a man be born, it doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if family pedigree. doesn't matter if you've got 12 Baptist preachers in your lineage and, uh, and your uncle's a deacon. It doesn't matter as far as your soul is concerned. You must individually be born again. He didn't say, you might not see the kingdom of God. He said, you cannot. This old sinful flesh cannot inherit heaven. it has got to be a change on the inside only God can do. I imagine a long pause as Nicodemus tried to absorb this statement. And then he says, as we read in verse four, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? And of course, the obvious answer is, of course not. But Jesus often has this difficulty in trying to communicate with people because he's speaking to them of heavenly things, spiritual things, and they're always thinking of earthly things. And just like in the next chapter, uh, he's, all, he's speaking about living water, and she's thinking of well water. And, but, he, but, but if Jesus didn't use physical uh, 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 imagery, we wouldn't understand anything he's trying to say to us. Amen. And so he's, he's comparing salvation to a new birth. Not a second natural birth, but a birth from above. Then in verse 5, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, many churches will teach baptismal regeneration or baptismal salvation, or you've got to get baptized to be saved. Now, I'm a Baptist with a capital B. Amen. 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 But I, I, and I believe in baptism, but you don't get baptized to get saved. You get baptized because you are saved. Amen. And, uh, but there are those who every time they see a puddle of water in the Bible, they want to baptize someone in it. Okay. So when Jesus is saying you must be born of water, he's not talking about baptism. Baptism has no part in salvation. Thief dying on the cross, Jesus didn't say, I'm sorry, buddy, you can't get baptized, you can't get saved. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. And so the water here is not the water of baptism. Some think that it's the water of the word, and I can understand coming at it from that point of view, but I personally believe that born of water is, in verse 6, born of the flesh. That the born of water is the natural birth and born of the spirit is the spiritual birth. And and so to me, that makes the most sense And he's saying that, which is, I mean, I don't have to get into biology to understand this this morning. If a woman's with child and her water breaks, the baby's on the way. Grab your suitcase. Amen. You're going to the hospital. I mean, that's that ought to be clear to us. And uh, so when he's talking about that which is born of water and of the Spirit, or uh, man be born of water and of the Spirit. So the, the qualification for living on this earth is you got to be born. And the qualification for living in heaven is you must be born again. And so uh, my, my mom and dad gave me physical life. Obviously we know it's from God. But only God can give me spiritual life. Well, there was a certain time you were born into this world. It's your birthday. Mine, if you want to write this down, just kidding, <laughs> my birthday, September 1st, I was a Labor Day baby, amen, and uh, 1975, you can do the math, 46, and so September 1st, 1975, I was born into this world at the Naval Air Base in Jacksonville, Florida. I was born there because I wanted to be close to my mother, amen, that's where she was at the time. Anyway, now I did not know, I mean, I, I, the only reason I knew my birthday is because my parents reminded me every year, today's your birthday. And then I learned that when I got born again on April 21st, 1991. The only reason I know that date is because about a year and a half later, I asked the pastor to look it up. I said it was friend day last year. What day was that? And he looked it up and April 21st, 1991. And so I wrote it in my Bible. And, but I remember the experience, even though I didn't know the date, Amen. I don't remember being born, but I remember being born again. Remember being saved. And I have a date for that. Now, you may not know the date, but do you have the, did it happen? That's the thing. And uh, so there's a certain time we are born into this world. There's a certain time we're born again. No one can say, well, I've always been born. (laughs) You can't say, well, I've always been born again. No, there has to be a time. When you, as a lost sinner, realized you were a lost sinner and that He is the Savior and He could save you, and you repented, which means you turned back to Him with saving faith, acknowledging that you're lost and undone and in need of Christ, and then He saves you. And so we must have that, that time. Now, there must be that experience. And so Jesus said in verse 7, marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Now, why did Jesus say marvel not? He's saying don't marvel at this like this is some impossible thing. Nicodemus is marveling at how can I get born again? Am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born a second time? That's impossible. I'm marveling at that. You're you're saying something is an impossibility. And Jesus said, don't think of it as an impossibility. It's impossible for you, but it's not impossible for God, you see. And that's the point, that God is the one who does this. Now, in verse number eight, it says, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, I think we in Oklahoma are all pretty familiar with the wind. Amen. That's the one thing that has probably taken the most to getting used to since moving from North Texas. I and mean, we had wind there, but not like here. Amen. And fact, uh, brother Painter and I were out so winning yesterday and he was telling me that oh, this is actually good the crosswinds and stuff are actually good for training pilots because you get that experience of dealing with that. And I thought, well, at least it's good for something. Amen. (laughs) But We understand that the wind, especially in Bible times, they didn't have the radar, the systems that we have now. And so the wind would blow and who knows where it came from, who knew where it was going. It just, it wasn't something that can be controlled. Wasn't something that could be manufactured. The wind just blew and, and, uh, and that he describes that as the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so the Spirit convicts and draws people to Christ. When a person believes in Christ, it is the Spirit of God that regenerates that believer and makes him a new creature in Christ. There's no salvation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. And so the Spirit of God, when the Word of God is being presented, the gospel is being preached, it is the Spirit of God that draws, it is the Spirit of God that convicts, it is the Spirit of God that shows us our sin, it is the Spirit of God that deals with the heart and the conscience and the mind, and then we must make a decision to believe in Jesus or not. And when you decide to believe in Jesus, that's the Spirit of God that then quickens you, makes you alive again, regenerates you, makes that new spirit inside of you, amen? That which is born of the Spirit is lowercase s, spirit. You see, you and I are made in the image of God, aren't we? You're looking at someone who is three parts, spirit, soul, and body, amen? Animals are bodies, but they don't have spirits. Angels are spirits, but they don't have bodies. We're made in the image of God. We have spirit, soul and body. And before we get saved, our spirit is dead in trespasses and sins. And so I, before I got saved as a dead man, didn't know it. I was living in a body that was dying from the moment of conception. Amen. We're born dying. I was, uh, my mind and understanding was darkened and corrupted by the depravity that is in me. My spirit was dead. How could I have fellowship with God with a dead spirit? You can't. So when I got saved, God quickened that which was dead, the spirit within me. So now I'm alive in Christ. The body's still dying. The redemption is, I mean, it's not complete yet. I'm not glorified yet, but I, I'm alive inside. Yeah. And that is what God did when I got saved. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is not something we can control or manufacture. And I think this is a danger. I want to be careful how I say this because I, I believe in, in uh, child evangelism. I mean, when I was a pastor, we started running a van route six months after we started from scratch. And except for the COVID situation, we ran at least one bus the entire time I was a pastor. We had junior church and Sunday school and vacation Bible school. And I believe kids can get saved at an early age, especially when they're around the Word of God all the time and and raised with praying parents and people that care about them. But I do think we ought to be very concerned that sometimes kids can make a profession before the Spirit of God has really worked in their hearts. It's very easy for children to just want to go along with the crowd, to do what they think others expect them to do, but they haven't yet felt convicted. They haven't yet really understood. And the danger of a false profession is real. I uh, mentioned this last week to my own father. When his dad was in the Navy and they traveled all over the world, uh, and uh, they from coast to coast, California to North Carolina and back to California. And my mother always dragged him to you know, a Southern Baptist church, or an American Baptist church, and uh, wherever they were, and, and uh, tried to raise him in church. And, and at 16, my dad went to a revival meeting, and the preacher preached, and he walked down the aisle, and they took him and just baptized him and sent him on his way, 16 years old. No one ever sat down and took a Bible and explained salvation to him. No one explained the fact that he was a sinner, what Christ did for him. I guess it's just assumed someone walking down the aisle knows that, but we shouldn't assume such things. It's so my dad, the next year, graduated high school, joined the Navy, and said when he went off to boot camp, I'm never going to darken the doorstep of a church again. Well, that's not the something that a saved person says. And for 30 years... Didn't go to church. 30, went to Vietnam, was in the jungles, was in two near fatal car accidents, and in any of those times could have died and gone to hell. Joined our church on his previous profession, became a deacon and the church treasurer. And then, for a couple of years, walked into the pastor's office after a Sunday sermon and said, Pastor, I, what you preached yesterday, I, I'm looking back, I don't think I ever got saved. I just got baptized. I said this last week at the church in Weatherford and a little elderly lady came up to me. She said, you know, that happened to me when I was like nine years old. And I I went 60 years on a false profession, trying to live the Christian life, not even saved. And so I, I never want to make a saved person doubt their salvation. Never, never, never. A saved person, your assurance of salvation is your birthright as a believer. If you are saved, you can know that you know that you know that you're saved, saved, saved. But if the Spirit of God is working in your heart saying, you're not saved, then I would talk to someone who cares about you, pastor one of the altar workers, your parents, anybody, and don't be afraid to lay out your fears and get either assurance if that's what you need or to get saved if that's what you need. But it's the Spirit of God has to work in our hearts. When I was, when we were raising our kids and I I told my kids, I try not to use them as sermon illustrations, but... It's just I'll go sometimes, but I, this is not a this is not one that would be embarrassing, I don't think. But when my I started praying as their father, I started praying for them as soon as I found out they were coming. And I had a prayer list that that varied very little. It had very little change over the years when my kids were still at home and growing up. And number one was that they'd be saved. And even after they made childhood professions, I continued to pray. Lord, if they're not saved, I pray they'd get under conviction and they'd get it settled. And three of the, two of the four never, got saved early, never had a doubt. I can tell you today when they got saved, how they got saved. One had doubts around teenage years and got assurance and knows she's saved. And then one around 12 years of old said, I'm not saved. I don't even remember anything. I, I, and she got saved and there was an immediate change in her life going forward. And I just thank God. You don't ever want to stop praying for your kids. Sometimes we think kids are backslidden. Maybe they're just not even saved. Well, I'm just saying the Spirit of God has to be at work. And, and it takes spiritual discernment. I remember many times we'd have kids that wanted to, you know, would come forward and I'd send them off with my wife to talk to them and she'd come back a while later than and they're not ready. Well, good. It's good for us to have spiritual discernment uh, and, and, and deal with people with wisdom. Well, look on to verse number nine. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Now this, this question, uh, I didn't understand it for quite a while. Why did Jesus expect a master of Israel, a man with doctoral degrees and divinity in the Old Testament, why did he expect him to understand you must be born again when there's not a single verse in the Old Testament that says you must be born again? And I was given that thought and I, I talked to a few people about it. They didn't know either. And, and so I just kept praying about it. And I, I, I'm studying through Ezekiel and Jeremiah and what I'm finding is not you must be born again but the need for a new heart and a new spirit that comes from God. And isn't that what it is to be born again? Yes. And so for example in Ezekiel 11:19 God said I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. Then he said in Ezekiel 36 a new heart Also, will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And so God said, there's going to come a time I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to do this. You can't do this. All your uh, religiosity, all your Phariseisms, all your traditions, they cannot make you a new creature, but God can. Amen. He said, I will do this, God. He said, I will put my spirit within you. And so Nicodemus, with all his Pharisaical trappings and all his observances and his fasting twice a week and all the things that he was observing, None of those could deal with his sin problem or the fact that he had a stony dead heart on the inside that only God could give life to. Notice thirdly, the saving sacrifice in verse 14. We saw a sincere soul. We saw several startling statements. Number three, the saving sacrifice. Verses 14 and 15, he said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, I think this is, I don't know if the Lord was being a little sarcastic here in a a sanctified way, but he's talking to Nicodemus about being a master of Israel, and then he pulls the the, the illustration out of of, of numbers that I'm sure Nicodemus had heard as a little kid in Sabbath school since he was in first grade. Amen. This simple illustration of the, uh, the serpents in the wilderness and the, 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 because of their sins and God's judgment. Can you just picture Nicodemus, this little boy sitting there, he got a flannel graph, you know, little tents and little sinners seeking serpents, you know, coming into the camp. And then he's got a little flannel graph Moses with a brass serpent on the pole and people are looking and being healed. And and so he, he brings up this this uh, story from Numbers and he says that as moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness that brass serpent on the pole represented jesus becoming our sins on the cross and as those who were snake bit only had to look and live those who are bitten by sin need only to look to jesus and believe upon him and they shall be saved amen that whosoever i like that word whosoever amen I, I'm so against Calvinism. I wouldn't even let my wife plant tulips at our church. Amen. <laughs> I wouldn't even let them in our flower bed. I like whosoever. You know what that word whosoever means? The, the so, so uh, soever is an adverb can be added onto words like, uh, whosoever, whatsoever, howsoever. You know, it's not something we use often anymore, but it's a it has a meaning. Soever means to any possible extent. I like that. So what does whosoever mean? To any possible extent. <laughs> That's everybody. And so that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse sixteen. And if you think everyone on earth knows John three sixteen, think again. Back in two thousand nine, some of you remember Tim Tebow led his team to the national championship. And had painted in eye black under his eyes John 3.16. And and he was interviewed uh, after winning the championship game. Of course, people all around the world watching it. And Google reported that 92 million people Googled John 3.16 to find out what it said. So those who have grown up in church and Sunday school, you, you know this verse, but I promise you there are millions of people around us that have no idea what John 3.16 means. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And someone says, well, it can't be that easy. Just believe. Well, hold on a second. Who said it was easy? Was it easy for God to give His Son? Was it easy for Jesus to leave heaven's glories and come down, heaven's noonday to come down to earth's midnight? Was it easy for Jesus to live in poverty? Was it easy for Jesus to be be among mankind when they despised Him and rejected Him? Was it easy for Jesus to be crowned with thorns, beaten with a cat of nine tails, slapped, spit upon, nailed to a cross to suffer six hours and die for our sins? It's only easy for you because He did all the work. He did all the work. He paid the price. And now we simply receive the gift and we're saved. How do I get born again? Believe in Christ. Amen. Believe in Christ to the saving of the soul. It's easy for us because He's already done all the work. Well, I feel like I ought to do some of the work. No, my friend, it's 100% Jesus. Amen. If you try to add anything to it, you mess it all up. It's not 90% Jesus, 10% baptism, 90% Jesus, 10% church, 99% Jesus, 1% you're a good guy. No, sir, it's 100% Jesus. We have all the need. He has all the salvation. And we simply believe on him and we are saved. So Nicodemus came with a religion. I think he left with a relationship. And I want you to know that I don't have a religion this morning. I have a relationship with the living son of God who saved me, who gave me new life. I'm a new creature. I got born again at 15. And for 31 years, it's been the greatest thing in the world to know that you're saved and in God's family and to have God's life inside of you and to know that heaven is your home when you die. And you can have that assurance as well this morning. In just a moment, if you're visiting, we're going to have what we call a Baptist. It's just an invitation, a gospel invitation. And we're going to have people down here at the front. I'll tell you exactly what to do. You step out from where you are and you come down to the front and they'll take the Bible and show you how to get saved. Oh, that's scary. It's not as scary as hell. And the first step's the hardest. If you're in the middle, just say, excuse me. If you're sitting by someone and you don't think they're saved, just ask them, would you like to go forward and get saved today? That's how my brother got saved. And that's how someone could get saved this morning. I want you to know God has His arms wide open. Whosoever. And But you've got to make the decision to trust Christ alone for salvation. Father, I pray this morning that you bless these thoughts, this wonderful passage from the lips of our Lord Jesus. If there's someone here that's never been saved, I pray that today they'd realize that their baptism, their church memberships, their good works are just filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. Help them realize their sins require salvation. Help them to come to Jesus and get their their sins paid, for, taken care of, forgiven, so that they can have eternal life. I pray that you'd work now in our hearts this morning. I pray that you would draw people to Jesus, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.